1: Good morning, good afternoon and good evening wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show where you will learn about the science of financial success and the art of making money. Let's join the conversation with my first guest, Ken Honda. He is a best-selling author of self-development books in Japan where he has sold more than 7 million books since 2001. While his financial expertise comes from owning and managing several businesses, his writings Bridge the topics of finance and self-help, focusing on creating and generating personal wealth and happiness through deeper self-honesty. Today, we're talking about happy money, the Japanese art of making peace with your money. Welcome, Ken. Thanks for joining me on the show.
2: Thank you, Lisa, for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. Even when it's 11 o'clock night, I'm so full of energy.
1: You are full of energy. Ken is coming (laughs) to us from Tokyo, Japan. We are sitting at the beaches of Malibu, California, bright and early this morning. Ken, let's talk about the difference between happy money and unhappy money.
2: Yes. Happy money is money when you receive it, it makes you smile. And when you spend it, it gives you joy. That's happy money. Whereas unhappy money is money that frustrates you when you receive it and gives you anger, frustration, resentment when you spend it. So it's very obvious because 95% or the money that we deal with is unhappy money that gives you bad feeling, in other words.
1: Yeah. Interesting. I love what you talk about the feeling part of money, mm-hmm. because so much of the research talks about happiness and money and the direct relationship of it as it responds to basic needs. And the fact that we are not, you know, a million or a billion times happier when we have a million or a billion dollars than our less wealthy
2: counterparts. Yes. yeah. So, you know, what I found out is uh, it, it's nothing to do with how much we have or how much how much we make. It's about a feeling toward money. If we do what we love and receive money and spend money, that's happy money. And we we hate the job and receive money, that's unhappy money. So it's up to your feeling and how you deal with it.
1: You know, in a climate of scarcity, at least in the climate in America right now, we are dealing Mm -hmm. with a lot of scarcity. It's emotional scarcity and fear. And how does that, in your view, tie with our relationship with money?
2: I think as we go focus on more individualism, which is all the Western countries do, we feel cut off from our family members. And, uh, friends and society, that's, you know, a lot of problems. In Japan, uh, we have a little crime. So young girl, like age six can go on her own to subway ride and she can go uh, wherever she wants. It's because uh, we trust each other enough. And if, the, if you have enough trust in society and among people, you feel safe. But if you, we feel like we have to have money, we have to have security. Uh, that gives you a lot of tension. And especially if you cannot feel like you, you cannot trust your family members or friends to rely on. And, and it's a life is, life is harder.
1: Mm. Go back to the example you gave of the six year old girl riding the subway by herself because, Mm -hmm. and the difference in contrast between America and other countries like her, where, Mm -hmm. um, this just wouldn't happen. And, I want to talk about the relationship of that and it to Maslow's hierarchy of needs because mm-hmm. J- Japan rebuilt after the war. Uh, there was a lot of damage and the culture that is been there for thousands of years, I think evolved with this rebuilding process where is in America, where in America people came here in seeking religious freedom and there was fear from the outset.
2: Yes. Yes. And so- I hope
1: that made sense the way I described that. It's early uh, uh, in the morning here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so if we can feel comfortable with money we have, it's nothing to do with the society, but uh, it's it's harder to trust somebody if we feel like we're being ripped off or uh, if, we, if we feel like we're treat, treated unfairly. That's what a lot of people in all over the world feel like, you know, uh, what's happening in Europe, what's happening in America And what's happening in Japan, too, Uh, we feel like we're torn apart. So that's when we need more trust among ourselves and trust about ourselves and trust about future. But that's what we're missing.
1: And the trust that you speak of is it starts with ourselves. You do mention that. But in a climate of mistrust, how do we we begin to rebuild this trust within ourselves so we can extend it outward to others?
2: Yes, that's a very good question. Um, My mentor, Wahe Takeda, who's called Warren Buffett of Japan, he said you have to do only one thing, appreciate your money. So when money comes in, say arigato or thank you. When money leaves you, also say arigato or thank you. So that way you can start this cycle of appreciation. When you receive money, arigato. When you spend money, also arigato. That is an attitude uh, toward money. And then if you start appreciating about your money and life, you feel good. And if you um, find yourself and then you find yourself in the cycle of appreciation and what you appreciate, appreciates. So you tend to grow and also attract a lot of great opportunities, money opportunities and great people.
1: I love what you just said. What we appreciate, appreciates. That yes. is, I think that is the in itself the essence of happy
2: money. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, you said it right. So if you appreciate that you have money, the feeling that you have enough grows. If you focus on scarcity, like I don't have enough, like the, the reality of I don't have enough grows. So you have to really be careful with what you focus in life.
1: And how much of the culture itself in Japan, do you think, connects with this thinking of happy money or this way of being with happy money? Because there is there is a cultural um, difference.
2: Yes, yes. You know, as my uh, colleague uh, Maria Kondo is saying, uh, she's becoming very popular in North America and the world. It's because we have something in Japanese culture to sort of call back to our nature or harmony. And that's exactly what I'm doing with money. Uh, if you find harmony in your life and among your family members and then among your friends and colleagues and workplace and society, you find peace so much easier than before. Whereas we struggle for money and if you're we, we fr- frustrated with money and frustrated with work and family members, we cannot find peace anywhere.
1: Yeah. Uh. And peace is something that every single person, if you ask them what they want out of their lives, peace usually comes with part of that answer.
2: Yes. And it's not in seeking for what you want. It's more of uh, finding contentment in what you have.
1: What comes to mind as you speak is the word humility. Yes. There's an air of humility or an energy of humility in what you describe in happy money.
2: Yes, you know, I've done as I have a background of accounting and consulting and I have done intensive interviews on wealthy people. So what what what's bad is we tend to want more and more. One time I sat down with a a very wealthy man and he said uh, he doesn't feel any wealthy because he doesn't have a private jet. (laughs) And, you know, and then if you have a private jet, probably he'll be complaining that his private jet is not big enough. So (laughs) we have always find something to complain about. So um, (laughs) even if you make so much money, there is no end and limit to it.
1: Well, it seems as though human nature, we are bowls with a hole. You know, in other words, that the bowl will fill to the brim, but it never really runs over because there's this little hole at the bottom that has a constant drain. So we mm-hmm. never have that sense of um, satiety or sac- satiation.
2: Yeah. So you have to fix the ball. Otherwise, much money doesn't solve any situation. So instead of going for more, you have to find happiness in less. And if you cannot do that, you struggle no matter what.
1: I want to go back to something you said about the billionaire, because I have known a couple of billionaires, No, a couple Mm -hmm. of billionaires, and they have the jet. And I have to say that they are not particularly happy, which is no surprise to me, but it may be a surprise to many. Probably not a surprise to you either.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So because if you make more than enough, your happiness level kind of goes down because there will be a lot of stress and anxiety along with money and your family will fight more, and depend on money more. So, if you find a happiness among your family members, and make sure all your family members are healthy, both mentally and physically, you find a lot of trouble with wealthy people. Yes. So, and also, so that's not the answer. So, and it's harder too to make, to become a billionaire these days. So, I think instead of going for more and more, You can find more contentment with what you have and by transforming your relationship with money and life.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. Here's another interesting thing. You talk about not needing to be wealthy in order to have happy money.
2: Yes. So I have a janitor friend who is a toilet cleaner and he finds joy in cleaning the toilet. And so one time I had a, a cup of tea, and then he didn't come out of the bathroom. And he said, smiling, you know, the bathroom was so dirty, so sorry, you know, couldn't help it, but cleaned five toilets, <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know. And somebody like that, he's not a billionaire, but he loves what he does. And then he gets invited to lectures and he's invited to write a book, which became a, a national bestseller. He goes overseas to teach how to clean the toilet and your heart.
1: Yes, yes. Because what a metaphor the, the toilet is, right? <laughs>
2: yes, yes. So, you know, that um, that is a good example. and And you can do the same thing, you know, find happiness in doing what you love. And then that will bring enough money. So I have to figure out how much is enough money for you and your family, too.
1: Yeah, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more with Ken Honda about what the meaning of enough is. The book we're speaking about today is Happy Money, the Japanese art of making peace with your money. To learn more about Ken Honda and all of his work, his books and the amazing stuff that he's doing over there in Japan, go to kenhonda.com on Twitter at the Ken Honda and on Facebook, Ken Honda Happy Money. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a guarantee.
0: To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. And
1: we are back. Continuing to explore the science of financial success and the art of making money with my guest, Ken Honda. So I know we said we were going to come back. Neither of us remembered what that was. We were so busy <laughs> in the conversation. We <laughs> were too
2: happy. We were too happy and too <laughs>
1: present and engaged with each other. I want to mention something that popped into my mind as you were speaking, Ken, in the, in the previous yes. segment. And that is mm-hmm. the art of Kintsukuroi. And I know I'm not pronouncing it correctly. Mm-hmm it is a an art process with ceramics and it mm-hmm. reminded me when we were talking about the bowl with the hole you know mm-hmm. it's my understanding that this kintsukuroi this ceramic process was originated thousands of years ago when precious pieces of royal pottery or china became broken Mm. It was repaired with gold, so in other yes. words, the pieces of the ceramic were then seamed together with gold and thought to be more beautiful than they were when they weren't broken because they had been broken and had been repaired
2: Yes, I think that's what we we should feel about our our life, yes, <laughs> we need we have so many holes, so uh the people who have mended more holes are better. <laughs>
1: I think so. I think uh-huh. they are richer, in
2: uh-huh. fact. Yeah. So, especially around money, we make so many stupid mistakes and, and forgiveness about ourselves and the past is the first key. Yeah. And I think that's what, exactly what you're talking about.
1: I'm um, speaking of that. And then also the texture, you know, as human beings, the sort of the more lines of that precious gold, the more seams we have in, in our vessel that have been successfully repaired, the more deeply textured we are, the more deep we are as human beings and our understanding of life.
2: Yes, yes. I think the most important thing is how much we care about who we are and our loved ones and friends and community and hopefully the world. If we care for one another, we can solve most of our problems in a few days.
1: I agree with that. That if we really were to care for one another, that we would solve all of the great problems of the world. Right. You know, no one would be hungry. No one would be homeless. And you can go, go down the list of all
2: the problems. There would be no wars. Yes, yes. So that's exactly why I wrote my book, Happy Money. If we transform a relationship with our life and money and our family, we'll have a totally different life.
1: You are known as Japan's best-selling Zen millionaire. I would love for our listeners to know some of the other businesses that you run and projects that you are working on.
2: You know, I have had a very unique life. I started as consultant, and also I was uh, my father was a successful accountant. So we, with my brother, who is accountant, we started a business, and also. Uh, I did a lot of other business in my 20s, so I retired at age 29 for my baby girl. That's when I got this inspiration to write. Uh, after four years of just concentrating on my on my childcare, and uh, meanwhile I had this inspiration: the most important thing in our life is to find what we love. That's how I studied. Uh, why I studied work School, that is franchise school, to find passion. Uh, in your life. So I've got facilitators all over Japan and potentially in China and, and hopefully soon in the world help people how to find their gifts because uh, finding gifts and monetize around gifts is the shortcut and the happiest way to make a living. And a lot of people are too afraid to do that. And so I'm encouraging people to do that. And I have taught hundreds hundreds of thousands of people in Japan, find their passion and find what they love, and make a living, and make more money than they used to. And as a result, they have a more family time and um, more self-esteem altogether.
1: Wow! Life work school. How yes. cool is that? And the students are all ages, I would imagine.
2: Yes, and the facilitators are doctors, lawyers, business owners, housewives—you know, all kinds of people—and um, they they love to help people find passion. And they're so passionate about that too. Uh, And so I'm so proud of them. And also I'm so proud of people who take the courage to stand up and start transforming their relationship with money, work, life, and it's going to shift everything. It usually takes about one year to five years, but um, it's worth it, you know, um, to transition and, but, but also at the same time, I get so many questions that they're so afraid to take um, steps. So I've written more than 50 some books on how to do that.
1: Interesting. Um, there was some research that just came out of Stanford, I believe, about yes. um, the fallacy of... You know, uh, following your passion and the money will come. And this is yes. this just uh, was recently released. And I did a little bit of investigation into the article. And it, what it was saying is it's not like, you know, just you follow your passion. There's more to this, which is investment and interest. So you find something that you're interested in. You invest the time and the action required to cultivate it. And as you're doing it, you discover that it is your passion. Maybe it yes. doesn't start out that way because that's daunting for people. When you ask them what their passion is and they're like, Ah mm-hmm. I'm waiting. I don't know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. You know, a lot of people feel if they have passion, you know, talents, gifts, money, opportunities, self-confidence, they can start. But those things come after you start. So, you know, the the order is the, uh, uh, the other way around. So uh, unless you start walking the path of freedom. You cannot find money, you cannot find joy, you cannot find self-esteem, confidence, uh, network, uh, gifts. You know, I discovered my gifts of writing and speaking after I started sharing what I know at the age 33. And until then, I, I never thought I'd become a writer. And In fact, my whole family and my relatives didn't know that I I was good at something Um, I was good at writing and all my classmates, high school classmates, my junior high school classmates, they never thought I'd become a writer.
1: Because you were the money guy.
2: You were the numbers, numbers, math. Yes, yes, yes. So they're super surprised that I, I started writing mega bestsellers almost like every one book every two months.
1: That's pretty incredible. And uh-huh. that's real. And that is impressive because anybody who has written a book or has thought about written a book or is starting to write a book knows that putting a book together, writing a book and everything that is required to bring it to market is insanely laborious.
2: Yes. And uh, you have to have passion. And for me, my passion is to help people find their path. And I had a dream when my daughter was about two and she, she was a teenager in a dream. And she said, daddy, you may have some money, but you're so pathetic because you're not helping people at all. And then I woke up and I I just hoped one day my daughter will respect me enough. Uh, instead of like despising me like that. So that was, that was the beginning of my writing career.
1: And you know, what's interesting is that we all have these gifts. The art of giving money away, I think that that's really important or giving our gifts away. If if we have something that is that is something we do well or even resources that we possess, if we do not learn to be generous with those resources, whether it's money, energy, time or a skill, I think that detracts from our overall happiness.
2: Yes. So if you don't express, you get depressed. Yep. So expression expression of who you are is super important,
1: and showing up, and being willing to fail because I think that's mm-hmm. what is a limiter for so many people is the fear of failure. Well, we will fail <laughs> hundreds of times, if not more.
2: Yes, and you have to expect that to happen. And if you are ex- you know expecting twenty or thirty setbacks in advance, you don't get it disappointed.
1: Yeah. It's just the way it is. It's part of the story. It's part of the adventure. It's a speed bump to be to be um, driven over eventually.
2: Right. Yeah. So I I strongly recommend to start finding your gifts if you don't know. What
1: it is. And go searching and how to go. Searching. Yes. Maybe that's, the, that's the, uh, the tip to give us is somebody who's sitting there saying, yes, I'm, I'm in my job. I've been successful at my job. I mean, I make money. I provide for the family. But there is no juice. There is no um, source of flourishing I- inside of me. What do I do?
2: Yeah. So there must be something in daily life that you, you have fun. For example, there are people who are good at connecting people who are people who are super good in uh, summarizing the ideas or uh, doing internet research. So you have some gifts, but a lot of people don't know because it comes so naturally for them. So find something that a lot of your friends are surprised about. Wow, can you do that? So that's usually the gift. And you have to start digging out for your gold. And unless you start digging out your uh, deep within, You cannot find gifts. And so you have to ask around and uh, almost like a detective, you know, to figure out what it is that you're super good at.
1: And we're all gold miners, actually. We just have to go in and and start doing it. I wanted to say that Jack Canfield endorsed your book. And he, for those who don't know, he's a New York Times bestselling author of Chicken Soup for the Soul series. He said Ken's book will transform your life around money. And I think that's the case. Today, my guest has been Ken Honda. He is Japan's best selling Zen millionaire. The book we're talking about is Happy Money, the Japanese art of making peace with your money. Ken, come back and hang out with me anytime, or maybe I'll come to Japan and hang out with you. Even, yes, even either more way, fun.
2: <laughs> either way, it'll be fun. Thank you so much. It will be
1: fun. And to learn more, please visit kenhonda.com on Twitter at the Ken Honda and on Facebook. That page is Ken. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about the science of financial success and the art of making money. My next guest is Ramit Sethi. He is the author of I Will Teach You to Be Rich, the second edition, no guilt, no excuses, no BS, just a six week program that works. And thanks for coming on the show, Ramit. I really appreciate and I appreciate the, the humor and the no nonsense of this. (laughs)
3: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Well, it's great having you. Ramit Sethi writes about money, business, and psychology. At Stanford, he studied technology and psychology. He grew up in Sacramento, the son of Indian immigrant parents from whom he learned the art of negotiating. His understanding of human behavior and money led him to create innovative solutions in self-development. That's what we're talking about. let's, Let's jump in. Let's go to your idea for this book, The Psychological Effects of How Finances Affect Relationships.
3: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the reason that I wrote the book was when I was in my early 20s, I heard a lot of advice from a lot of personal finance people, and they almost always tell you the same thing. They tell you, don't spend money on lattes, don't buy jeans, don't go on vacation. It's a lot of what you can't do with money. And I looked around at my friends and we all said, we don't want to live like that. We want to go out. We want to buy a round of drinks for our friends. We want to take a nice vacation and not feel guilty about it. And in fact, I've come to recommend to people that you should buy all the lattes you want because saving $3 a day is not what's going to get you from where you are to living a rich life. That's actually not that much money when you actually add it up. What it turns out is there are a few big wins, about five to ten, And if you get those right in life, you never have to worry about buying appetizers or desserts or lattes. And I wanted to incorporate psychology with money. So that's what originally got me started writing about this.
1: And, you know, there is so much psychology in money because we're really not talking about the money, right? We're talking about some power around abundance versus scarcity or scarcity versus abundance.
3: Yes. In fact, if you ask people, what are the first words that come to mind when you think about money? You know what they say? No. They'll say guilt, shame, embarrassment, anxiety, nervousness, and sometimes, is it too late? Now, those are not wow. positive words. No. Yeah. And and when you ask people, what is your rich life, which I ask frequently, uh, usually you get one of three answers. The first is, uh, I want to pay off my debt. And I say to myself, it's no surprise that you're not yet living a rich life, because what a dim dream. If your dream is simply to pay off your debt, nobody gets up in the morning excited about that. That's number one. Number two is the word freedom. Oh, I want freedom. I say, okay, what is it? What is freedom to you? Oh, I want to go where I want to go, when I want to go. Do what I want to do. I'm like, okay, well, what do you want to do? They have never thought about
1: yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know. They, <laughs> I don't know what yeah. I want to do. Yeah, no, I, I hear you.
3: And then I, the, third, the, the third one is just a number, a million dollars. But of course, if I ask them what they want to do with that, they haven't thought about that. So I want to challenge people to really think about their rich life. And in fact, maybe I'll just ask you, what is your rich life?
1: Oh, my rich life? I'm living my rich life. I am doing work that I absolutely love that provides value to people and brings me great joy as I do it.
3: Love it. Wow. Crisp. I'm a gazillionaire. I've about it. <laughs> yeah, I've spent a lot of
1: time <laughs> thinking about it, actually.
3: Okay. Mine, when I was uh, earlier in my career, was to be able to go out and order appetizers at a restaurant. Simple as that. Because I never got to do that when I was a kid. Uh. And then uh, I grew up a little bit and I said, you know, my rich life now is to be able to take a taxi in a hot New York summer instead of going to a meeting sweating from the subway. Simple, $10, 15 bucks maybe. Now my rich life is bigger. My dreams got bigger. You know, it's funny. People say money changes people. Of course it changes people. It should change people. It should make you dream bigger than you dreamed before. And now my rich life is more expansive. And that's what I would challenge everyone. Notice how specific I was. Appetizers. Yeah. Or a taxi. That's what I want everyone to get to. And sometimes it might be expensive. Sometimes it might be 10 bucks. The amount is not the important part. It's that it's rich to you.
1: Yeah. I do hear what you're saying, and I think what's interesting is when we start to look at money as an energy or a, a power tool, right, and what we do with those power tools when we get them, maybe there is part of the discovery, and when we're not so afraid of the power in those tools, we have more of it.
3: I, I definitely agree that money is more than just the numbers, for sure, and in, I, I will tell you that I made the mistake earlier on of just – thinking that money was about getting the right math. And Hmm. of course, money is math, of course, but I could give you the perfect place to invest your money, the perfect automation system, so your money just works where it needs to go, but if you were raised in a family where perhaps your parents said we don't talk about money, or easy come, easy go, or money doesn't grow on trees, I could give you the perfect tactic and it's not gonna work until you master your own money psychology.
1: Yeah, I I love this. Give us some tips, more tips about the money psychology, because people who are listening saying, well, you know, yeah, I'd always I'd always like to have more money. You know, the Gallup mm-hmm. polls that have, you know, uh, been run for the last several years when they go around the world and they talk about subjective well-being and the relationship with money. Money never comes up as number one, but everybody always says, I'd like to have a little bit more.
3: Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you talk to people starting in their 40s and you ask them, what's your number one concern? They will almost always say money. And you even hear now people extremely frustrated about money. In fact, they'll point at systemic problems, inequality, and student loan debt. All those things are true.
2: But the vast
3: majority of people have never spent one weekend reading a good book about money. Not one. And so here you are, Sitting around, I know some of my readers, they sit around on Twitter complaining, oh, can't get ahead, must be nice to be able to save 100 or 200 bucks or however much per month, I can't even save 50. Really, when was the last time you checked out a book from the library and read it? And that's where people are not getting real with themselves. If money is the number one issue, the number one concern that people have in their 40s and beyond, then doesn't it make sense to take four to six hours to read a book? If you do that, You can take complete control of your money. And yes, maybe you didn't start until your 50s. Okay, it's going to be a little tougher, but you can still do it. If you're starting in your 20s, you have massive time or 30s. But the point is, we need to take some responsibility because nobody's going to do it for us.
1: I just want to remind our listeners that this book was written more than a decade ago. This is the second edition. So this stuff is working. You wouldn't have put out another edition with new and improved information included if this methodology didn't work.
3: Thank you. I'm glad you said that, and I appreciate that. The book went to number four on all of Amazon shortly after launching this time around. And I want to tell you what happened when I launched the book in 2009. So I wrote the book. March 2009 was the absolute bottom of the recession. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It was absolutely crazy. I went on book tour, and I went to all these different cities. I spoke to all these different local newscasters, and they looked at me like I was crazy. They said, why are you talking about investing? We have 10% unemployment. Nobody wants to hear about investing. And What they really wanted me to do was to give some random tips on saving money on laundry detergent so that viewers could feel good about themselves for two minutes and then go back to doing what they've always done. And I refused. I said, look, I'm going to talk about investing. I will talk about saving. But there are a lot of people who know that the economy will recover. And if they had followed the advice in the book in March 2009, they are now set for life. So I want to encourage people, don't think that you know, we're in a recession or we might be going into a recession. That's not the question you should be asking. The question you should be asking is, am I automatically saving and investing money every single month. Now, under that, you might say, well, I don't know how to save money. I already cut to the bone, or I don't know where to invest. It feels like gambling. And we can talk about all those things. But the way to get rich is not to uh, wait until it somehow magically happens or win the lottery or insurance settlement. It's to start investing even $50 or $100 a month. That's how, that's how you do it.
1: And, and I want to talk more about that because there are, there are some interesting ways to do that. You talk about the value of health savings accounts, HSAs, as investment vehicles.
3: Yes. A lot of times when people hear that they should start investing, they see all these words swirling around, 401k, annuities, Roth IRAs, et cetera. So what I did was I created a very simple uh, framework for where to invest your money. And if you think about watching a movie... We've all seen a movie where they're at a cocktail party and the waiter pours into the top champagne glass. And once it's full, it flows into the next champagne glasses Mm -hmm. and on and on. That's the same. I have something called a ladder of personal finance. And what you do is you take your first hundred bucks and you invest it in this account. And once you've filled up that account, you just go to the next account. Super logical, super easy. It will tell you exactly where to put your money, including an HSA.
1: I'm going to actually buy new copies of this book for my kids because I think what a great thing to give a college kid.
3: Oh, they will love it. And I speak to them and, you know, whether you're in college or now I've got readers uh, who are in their forties and fifties, and there's a way to talk to people as you can hear me right now, a way that doesn't start with depriving you of your money and also telling you all the things you're not allowed to do. I actually tell people Take the thing you love and let me show you how to double your spending on it. I call it a money dial. We've all got one. For some people, it's restaurants. For some people, it's uh, travel. For me, it's convenience. I love my life to be convenient. I spend a ton of money on that. I want to start from a place of saying yes instead of telling people no with their money.
1: Yeah, we're going to take a break in a moment. When we come back, I would love for you to share some real life examples. You speak about um, maximizing your credit card points. And you've got some amazing real life reader stories. I'd love for you to share some of those. And also stories of some of the readers who whose lives have been changed Buy your book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. We're talking about the second edition, no guilt, no excuses, no BS, just a six-week program that works. My guest today is Ramit Sethi. To learn more about his work, please visit www.IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com, on Twitter, at Ramit on Facebook he is at iwt and on Instagram he loves Instagram. It's also <laughs> at rumid. Here comes the break. We'll be right back and that is a guarantee. Who says money can't buy
0: happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book. Are we happy yet? 8 keys to unlocking a joyful life, a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes & Noble. Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit harvestinghappiness.com to learn more.
1: Welcome back. I'm continuing my conversation with Ramit Sethi. We're talking about the science of financial success and the art of making money. Let's return to that conversation. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us now, I have somebody here who is going to teach us, who who is teaching us how to be rich. I'm talking with Ramit Sethi. He is the author of I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And this is the second edition of this book. No guilt, no excuses, no BS, just a six-week program that works. And when I first saw the title of this book, I'm like – oh, geez, what a snake oil-like <laughs> sounding title. And we don't do snake oil on this show. And then, you know, when I go a little bit deeper beyond that, and we're talking about what it means to be rich, Ramit, this is this is the secret sauce. This is the juice.
3: Thank you very much. And I have to admit that uh, I don't know that I would have named this book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich, today. I chose it when I was in college. And I know it's got its connotations. I mean, I think we should all be upfront about that. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a reason that When you go to my site, you see me mentioning New York Times bestselling author and uh, Stanford graduate and the reason that we have over 40,000 customers uh, for different courses we've created. And the reason is that while the name does sound a little crazy, we actually went above and beyond in the other direction. I hate get rich quick stuff. I hate when people say, oh, you can make a million dollars in a year. No, you can't. It's impossible. You need to do the work. It's not simply about affirmations. You need to show up every day. You need to be disciplined. You need to build systems. Yeah. And in fact, I'll tell you one thing we do in our business is if any, we tell people who try to join our flagship programs, these are our very high-end expensive programs. If you have credit card debt, do not join. Use my free chapter to pay it off. And if you join anyway and we find out, we will refund you and we will ban you for life. So wow. we're really serious. It costs us millions of dollars to make that decision. But I don't want people's money if they have not used the basics to pay off their debt. It's only when you start to look forward and say, hey, I've got a plan to pay off debt. Now I've paid it off. Now I'm ready to invest for growth. That's when we want you to join us in our flagship programs.
1: So what I'm hearing you say is that there is this underlying integrity about the work that you do. As amusing as the title is, you know, and you probably should do a T-shirt with like a bottle. You know, with this. <laughs> so it's like being you know, a bottle, play, a little kitschy thing, but you're really, there is a high level of integrity in how you're approaching this work. A
3: hundred percent. And that's why we've been around for, you know, over 15 years. And that's why people continue to write about us in the New York Times and places like that.
1: So let's talk about some of these stories. One of the things that you write about is the maximization of credit card points. I love American Express <sighs> travel points. In fact, I'm going to Europe. Um, this summer with my points. I'm so happy. Awesome. Yes. Tell tell us.
3: Okay. Here's the general rules that people give you with credit cards. You'll hear a lot of people out there saying, don't use credit cards at all. I don't believe that. I believe you should use them wisely. I want to show you how to beat the credit cards at their own game. And I want to show you how to benefit from it. Free trips, free flights, free hotel upgrades, free purchase protection. People don't even know this exists. But just to give you an example, I bought a laptop a few years ago. I accidentally spilled a cup of coffee into the keyboard. The credit card turned around and wrote me a check. So many people have no idea about these perks. Now, I do want to have a huge disclaimer here, which is that a lot of people overspend on credit cards. If you've got credit card debt, you should use the plan in the book to pay it off. And the simple way to know that is if you've got debt, whether it's student loan or credit card or any other kind, I should be able to ask you, what is your debt payoff date? And you should be able to tell me the exact month and year it will be paid off. If you don't know that, then you don't know your debt. If you do and you're good, you're debt-free, you're using a credit card, two types of big rewards you can get. One is travel. One is cash back. I like cash back just because it's simple. They're great cards. They're 2% back, sometimes even 3% cash back. Wow. And I, they're very simple and straightforward. I don't like the cards where you got to do 5% for your groceries, 3% for your parking. One, I don't like that. I don't want 50 Cards to think about every day. I pick one, maybe two, and I'm good to go. Travel, there's some great cards out there. Some of them have an annual fee, so you need to run the numbers to see if it's worth it. But either of those are great. And basically, if you're spending money, you might as well get rewarded for it.
1: Agreed. Let's talk a little bit about some of the stories of your readers whose lives have been changed by the first edition.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is my favorite thing. In fact, in the first page or two, one of my proudest moments in this book is that I incorporated the photos and stories of a lot of readers and they're talking about how they use this book to create their rich lives. And it's, it makes me very proud when you look at these photos because there's men and women and different ages and different ethnicities and it shows how diverse a rich life really can be. For example, one guy in the right in the front He says, I used this book, my wife and I retired at 35 and 36, and we drive around the country in an RV. Wow. Now that is interesting. And I have to say, it's not really my rich life. I live in Manhattan in a high rise, but I love that he and his wife consciously decided what their rich life was, and they used the book to get it. So you see these stories all throughout the book, and some of them decided to pay off $75,000 of debt. Other people decided they're going to travel for six weeks a year, and all of them, no matter what their rich life was, used the book to get it.
1: Any comeback kid stories?
3: Oh, tons. I mean, look, most people, (laughs) when you think about money, I meet a lot of people who have never really learned about money. Never. If anything, they heard a few phrases from their mom and dad who didn't know much about money themselves, and they grew up, they accumulated some debt. And maybe they're 40 and they decide, oh, man, I better do something about this. Maybe I have kids. And so if they have a program and if they have a plan, it's actually amazing how fast you can turn yourself around. I've got people in the book who paid off tens of thousands of dollars of credit card debt. Tens of thousands. Think about that. They went for probably 20 years of their adult life thinking this is just normal. Everybody's got debt. Uh, I'll never get out from under it. I'll die with this debt. These are common phrases that
1: people yes, use. Yes, yes. I hear that a lot, actually. And, yep,
3: yep. And and they've become normalized to it. And yet, when they read this book, they start to say, oh my God, there's a whole group of people out there who paid off their debt, who got out, and who actually got forward-looking enough to start thinking about growing. Uh, and this is like a magical moment for people. In fact, there's a whole section I call the magical moment where people realized they could pay their debt off. And that moment, they actually share exactly what they experienced at that moment is truly magical.
1: Talk about power, like, f- and feeling empowered when you are able, when one is able to achieve your financial goals, it is, it does feel like liberation. That does feel like freedom.
3: It feels like freedom. I mean, one thing that uh, people who are in debt write me in and tell me is every day they wake up and it's just a battle every single day. They feel this huge weight around their shoulders. They know that they're in debt, but they don't want to open up the bills or the emails that tell them how much. Interestingly, over 90% of people who are in debt don't know how much debt they owe, which is fascinating, but totally understandable. And when they make a plan, first of all, when they make a plan, they just feel amazing because you know that, okay, it's, it's not magic, it's math. It's just going to take time to pay this off, but all the pieces are in place. And then once they actually pay it off, and once they start to see how their money can not just sit in a savings account, but actually grow, suddenly it is truly incredible because they realize, oh my God, I can change my financial situation. If I want to have $10,000 or $100,000 in the bank in my investment account, I can do that. I can literally plug in the math and they understand, they take control. Also, interestingly, you'll find that a lot of people who take control of their finances start to take control of their fitness. It's very common, (laughs) very common. I I I have a ton of people who made a lot of money and then got really fit. Why? Because the same principles apply. Everybody else is playing these gimmicky games. They're doing these random cleanses and these random weird investments. But when you learn about simple, low-cost, long-term investing, you start to realize, oh, there's no gimmicks, there's no tricks, and I can do the same thing with my fitness. Show up every day, watch what I eat, exercise, feel great. Simple as that.
1: I just opened uh, up to a page. I will teach you to be rich, the second edition. And it it made me smile. And I really had to control bursting out laughing. (laughs) I'm not going to name the bank because it might come after me. And I'm just like a little person here, but blank, 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 one of the world's shittiest banks.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I mean, I don't want to get you in trouble, so I won't say it, Yes, but I name names in this book. And I name the best accounts, the exact accounts that I use for my checking, savings, investment accounts, apps, everything. And I also name the worst accounts, the ones to avoid, the ones that are predatory, and the ones that you should just steer clear of. Nobody else does this. No. I think a lot of people, they want to cut a deal with the bank, but I don't care. I want to tell you what's the best account. I want to tell you the exact words to use, word for word. When you call these banks up or credit cards and you get your late fees waived, I even show you the exact words to negotiate, a five, ten, dollars or $15,000 raise. That's in chapter nine. What I really want to push for here is being specific. I think you and I are, everyone's tired of generic general advice. I don't need that. Tell me the exact numbers. Tell me the exact accounts. And if you trust me and you trust what you're hearing right now and you go through the book, then you're going to see, man. This is this is going to get me from just reading to actually taking action.
1: Well, I mean, you've got me convinced to go on the Ramit Seti diet. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm going to get my kids on it. And oh, I, love and, it. And I, you know, I've got a, a son who's almost 20 and a daughter who's about to graduate from college. What a great gift for each of them. Thank To, you. to set them on this trajectory. Because, you know, in my family, and I talk about this from time to time on the show, We during that recession, there were losses. We lost everything. I was functionally oh. homeless with two kids on my own. I got busy. There was no time or space for a pity party, and it all turned out for the best. But, you know, things happen.
3: Yes. They will always happen, right? Life is going to throw yes. something at us one way or another. And that's a given. We know that. What we can do is we can plan before we need to, that's one of the key distinctions between the rich and everyone else, the rich prepare before they need to. And then we can exercise the muscle of resilience. Life's gonna knock us down, whether it be with relationships or money or something, it's a given. So what are we gonna do when it happens? And if you have the right systems, if you've been automatically investing and saving every day, and even if you haven't, you can start today, suddenly when that thing happens, you are in such a better position to look forward and to recover and to start growing again.
1: And I have to say the process that you teach is fun. Thank you. Money is fun. It is fun. Money
3: <laughs> it is, is I mean, fun. We're,
1: you and I are having a
3: blast right now. This is fun. We yeah. get to talk about traveling and upgrading our hotels and, you know, bring like when my wife and I got married, we took a six week honeymoon across the world and we brought our parents with us to Italy. And we started in Italy before we went on to safari and all these places that that, Wow. was part it was part money, but it was also part imagination. The imagination of what is our rich life. And we wanted to create this magical experience with both of our parents. Like that, that means you gotta have your money in order. And then you also need to be imaginative. You need to ask yourself, what is our rich life? And how can we use money in part to get it? That's why I think this is one of the most fun topics on the planet to talk about.
1: Well, I like what we can do with money. You know, like when you think about all the things that you can do with it in terms of the memories that you can create, the people that you can help, and you do write a lot about giving back and philanthropy. So we should probably pause there for a second and let you extol the virtues of such. Well, I just want to say that I think for each
3: person, a rich life is different. And your rich life could be buying a beautiful, beautiful jacket. And there's no shame in that. It's not shallow. I think it's amazing or you wanna hire a personal trainer or pay someone to do whatever, okay? Take your kids, go to Disneyland, get the VIP thing, fine. I also think that I wanna encourage people, once you've got the basics dialed in with your money, you're gonna start to realize that instead of living this check-to-check, scarcity-based mentality, you actually have more than you ever thought possible. That's what's happened to me. And you go from, oh, how am I gonna pay these bills, to, oh, I already achieved all my financial goals. What's next? It's not a pipe dream. You can read all the people in the book who did it. And then I, one thing I just want to plant in people's mind is you can start to think bigger. Start thinking about giving back. And whether it's time or money or both, I think it's one of the best things that I've ever done.
1: Yeah, me too. It makes me the most happy is that giving back. I also want to say before we end that Fortune Magazine calls you the new finance guru. I mean, this is no BS, (laughs) I have to say, you know, I mean... The title aside, which we can have a good laugh about, the the, the <laughs> technology and the system is there and it is no BS. It's no nonsense and it and it works. And I thank you so much. Come and hang out with me again. Let's talk about money and happiness again. It's my
3: pleasure. I would love to. Thank you so much. And for the opportunity to share this with your listeners, it means a lot.
1: Oh, well, right back at you. I've been talking with Ramit Sethi. The book is I Will Teach You To Be Rich, the second edition. No guilt, no excuses, no BS, just a six-week program that works. To learn more about him, his work, please visit www.IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com on Twitter at Rahmit, and on Facebook, I W T, and on Instagram, a favorite of meat He's also at Rahmit. Rameet, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and your generosity to hang out.
3: <laughs> my pleasure. Thanks again. Thanks.
1: Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness. This is Lisa Cypress Cayman, and my guest today, Ken Honda, and ramit Sethi. Wishing you kind thoughts kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day.
0: Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere, from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUU Radio Malibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.